Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Um, first, we ha- we Coach Darius back for another episode at co-hosting. Uh, Coach, welcome back. Hey, appreciate it. And, and then we have a special guest today, uh, Coach Cody Alexander, uh, the co-defense coordinator and safeties coach at uh, Mesquite Horn High School in Texas. Coach, how you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem, Coach. Uh, like I said, we want to kind of get you on, pick your brain about some things and but for some for some godly reason, if somebody doesn't know who you are in the coaching world, which I highly doubt, um, can you give a like a brief background on kind of where you've been and kind of what you've kind of gotten known for? Yeah, so I GA'd under Phil Bennett at Baylor University, and then from there I kind of started. I went back to the high school level, and I got into a situation where I needed I needed to kind of get uh, some creative juices flowing, and I. I've always wanted to be a writer, didn't, didn't necessarily want to write, you know, like the next Harry Potter. So uh, I just was like, I'm going to just start writing about football and throwing it on the worst place you could possibly do that, which is the internet and Twitter. And so it started picking up. I started getting, you know, some people to, to like my stuff. And then eventually, you know, I, I you know, match quarters is, is what I author and, and it kind of blew up and it's kind of opened up a bunch of pathways for me and, and, and a lot of resources. And it's, it's really been a fun journey really for the last five years. I put five books out. I put my last one anchor points out, um, middle of January. So it's been, it's been really fun. Um, and that's kind of where it all started was just my, I wanted to learn more about the game and I, and kind of put my thoughts down on what I thought, you know, defending modern football was and kind of what we did at Baylor defending our Braille system. And from there, it just kind of grew. Now, I mean, you mentioned Phil Bent there. We'll kind of hit that before we get to the actual like defensive stuff. What did you kind of take away from working with coach Bennett um, during your time there at uh, Baylor? Yeah, I think run fits, you know, I'm, I'm a secondary guy, uh, just by trade. And then that's kind of where my passion lies, uh, especially the cornerback play. Um, but that was the one thing that he harped on me the most was just kind of that attention to detail. And I think run fit, it fits just in particular, there's, there's not a lot of gray area in them. You got to fit the run and, and you got to be detail oriented and how you coach it and how you get from point A to point B and, and stop different things. I think that to me is just kind of the thing that's always said, you know, he's always, you know, we used to sit and it used to be just me and him uh, and Jim Gush who's with him now at North Texas, you know, it'd be the three of us just sitting in, in the meeting room together and just being able to soak up that. And the one thing they always preached to me was, was be a complete coach. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to do this, do it the right way, know the front and the back, you know, because they knew, they knew I was a good DB coach and I knew what to do with the back end, but you know, that's the big thing, you know, even I talked to him. In fact, I talked to him in December and that was the first thing he even asked me. It's like, Cody, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing good. He goes, now you still know how to fit the run, don't you? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, sir. I still know how to fit the run. Like, I, I, you know, so he checks in with me every once in a while. That's usually I get something about better know how to defend the run. Okay. Now that, I mean, that's an interesting last week. So how much is that when you're 
I mean, obviously you're a match quarters guy, but when you're looking at your coverages and all that stuff, how how much do you where do you start with that when teaching your kids in terms of the run fits versus the actual coverage responsibilities? Yeah, I think I'm. I think most guys, if you go and you look at the elite level coaches, they're starting back to front anyway. Um, I think they're trying to how can I get the nickel out of the fit. And, and really, I'm a little different. I, I wrote this in Anchor Points. There's a whole chapter in Anchor Points about run fits, and I, I kind of went over my philosophy versus lever, spill lever, and um, uh, kind of the, the spill overlap that you see in the 3-4. Um, and just kind of the the one thing that I, I learned from Bennett is just in the modern game, it doesn't matter. You want to eliminate space. You know, that's the thing that when you when you go up against Art Bryles all the time, you want to eliminate space as much as possible. So if I can force the offense into the boundary, then I'm going to do that. One way to do that is keep your nickel out of the fit all the time. Now that's that's easy to do in a four down, like two by two. You yeah. can always set the three technique to the to the field. So we would have field call. Now, if you do that all the time, you're gonna you're gonna get some different things. But but as a base, just camp rule of of trying to fit things without the nickel and and how can you get um, how can you get the safety from the table, which is you know ten yards, ten yard, ten twelve yards deep. How can you get him involved in the run fit without slamming him down in the fit, like you see in some of these uh, single high teams or in some of these where they push everything out. You know, I'm not a big sling the fit guy, just in the sense that um, if you set the back to the boundary and I, I set the three, te- you know, I've got everything over there. You know, and now I'm taking that same linebacker from the space and I got to slam him all the way down to the B gap. I mean, to me, uh, I'm, Art Bryles is one of the first people that started doing the flop read stuff. Uh, Big 12, you, you know, where I cut my teeth was at the very beginning in 2011 in the Big 12. People were already doing the flop read. They were doing the vertical. They were doing the vertical option routes. I mean, all of this stuff that you're seeing now that's basically commonplace in all of football, that's, st- that's stuff that our browser was doing in 2011. So, we, I mean, I got indoctrinated in basically modern football 10 years before it actually hit. So uh, the way that I look at things is a lot different than other people, and I'm okay with that. You know, that's one thing I always took away from Browns. He used to always say, you know, we can either be the exact same as somebody, and if we're going to do that, we better be elite, and we better be better than them, or let's be different. And, and let's teach our kids a, a different, let's, let's think outside the box and have different answers to, to, to the same problems that other people are having. Because I think we get, in, in, in coaches, we get such a survival bias and we want to be cookie cutter and we want to we want to run everything the exact same way as some of these guys do, but we don't have the talent to do what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got to kind of think outside the box in different ways. And, and, I, and to me, that's kind of what I've always I've always taken with that. And the biggest part of that is keeping that field covered down to where I'm not giving any, any, just what I call gifts. I'm not giving you the gift of space. Okay. No, good. I mean, my, so, so I, I'm going to kind of get into it. And me and Coach Jerry will start like rotating questions here is um, obviously that, I mean, there's been a, how do I want to say this? Uh, prevalent movement by defensive coaches to, either some sort of bear or four-eye front. Um, I think that's kind of been the answer for a lot of coaches for, like, zone um, to a point. I, th- I think the bear, because of, obviously, Bud Foster, who I talked to the, a couple days ago, and then the four-eye has been becoming extremely prevalent. Um, so with those changes, how have you seen offensive coaches shift to now attack those in response to defensive coaches attacking the offense with that those fronts? Well, I think five years ago, nobody even knew what duo was. I think you would just call it yeah. an inside zone. Yeah. Um, and, I, and to me, I think that's, you know, if you, unless you were on 
unless you were privy to what was going on in the NFL um, and some of these power run games, like some of these kind of NFL style style run games, you probably you probably didn't even know kind of what duo was. You probably just said inside zone, or you're just it's just load zone. You're just you're just sitting, you know. Uh, everybody's just kind of stepping one direction, kind of down, and you didn't really know the rules, or you couldn't even you couldn't you didn't really understand that. And I think now, with the, with everybody plugging the B gaps, teams are having to find ways to attack downhill a little bit more. Gap scheme, buck buck option. I mean, not buck option, but buck sweep has become a lot more prevalent. Pin and pull um, has become much more prevalent, um, and I think that's something that you're seeing kind of. Across the board, people are more interested in pin pull concepts. People are more interested in duo. People are more interested in kind of these vertical these vertical games where I'm I'm attacking downhill, uh, and I and really you know talking to people that live in the tight front. I mean they they know like if I don't have a guy that can contain the B gap, I'm just going to get washed anyway. Um, and so you know how how can we counteract that? I mean you go look at Georgia this year played in a massive amount of fourth down Louisiana, which is another tight front school uh, with Tony down there. They kind of come from that Aranda tree, a massive amount of four down. Um, I think that you, you, you go and you start looking a lot of these guys are starting to shift back to some four down stuff, whether it's personnel or it's just kind of the run game that they're seeing, um, you know, and the irony in all this, if you talk to offense coaches, they, everything is always drawn up to, to a four, four down because it's easy. The angles are there. The angles yeah. are simple. Um, but on top of that, I think now people are going back to a four down instead of it being that static four two five quarters look. They're understanding. Look, if we're going to go four down, we got to move guys around. We got to be more fluid in the front. We got to be. We can't just be. You've got the. You've got this gap. You've got this gap. Everybody's gapped out. And then now, now that's when you get in trouble with the bubble and and, and things like that. And so to me, I think that's kind of that evolution piece is, is that as people have gone more to this tight front is that now offenses are starting to get a little bit bigger in the way that they attack you. You know, you're, we're seeing 11 personnel now is the new 10 personnel, you know, from a decade ago. Uh, more people are starting to experiment with 21 and 12 personnel, especially if you've got some bigger bodies that can play tight end. So to me, I think that is that's that, that I talked about it in hybrids a couple of years ago. I said, we're going to start seeing more 12 personnel and high hybrid 21 personnel stuff because as more people get lighter and they get faster and everything starts getting condensed everything they're going to want to try and start hitting those edges and as as people know that run the tight front you basically have to blitz into bear and and and, you know now now they're trying to attack those lighter edges now on the tight front than normally you would have in a four down i mean i i think i think it's really interesting especially you good at the college level how, well, it's just, I mean, it's just common physics of football, right? It's all about angles. And, I mean, you, you get that full eye. It was, I mean, revolutionary. But then, like, you, they're going to get good at it. I mean, I think, I mean, you look at it five years ago, that goal line fade killed teams. And now you got that chest-to-chest technique, and no one can run goal line fades unless you have, like, a 6-6, six, six, like a Kyle Pitts receiver out there. You know what I mean? That, yeah, you got to do it. You know what I mean? But, like, for the most part, I mean, you used to be able to throw a goal line bait to anyone in college, and it's almost impossible to defend. So, I mean, I think it's I mean, I think it's really neat. And I, I kind of – I actually am a big Kirby Smart guy, so I actually watched three or four games, and I was kind of what you said. I was a little shocked to see how much four down front he did. And, and I think – I mean, I think a lot of people got away from four down because – you were balanced, but sometimes you were too balanced, 
right? I mean, I, yeah. you, you, you could just kind of, like you said, you flipped the three technique to the field. You kind of knew what you were going to get from a front. And I think offenses are really good at attacking that. So, you know, what's your adjustment? You know, I think a lot of people went to a three down tight. You know what I mean? Because you can still roll down to mint and all that good stuff. But I thought it was, I, I like your analysis in terms of, you know, where, where the ball, because I think, you know, pin and pull is probably one of the most common plays. And I think yeah, because it's, 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 it's so right. you don't need to wash. And, and I think split zone is killing tight front teams because I think tackles are getting really good at washing a four-eye tech. You know, four-eye was so big because it was a horrible angle for any zone, right? I mean, it's, right, yeah, yeah. Right it's hard to get that momentum, but I think you've seen it so often. And they rep it so often now. So when you run that split zone, man, that cutback lane is just excruciating to defend. When you get that sniffer back kind of right there. I mean, I watched, I'm a big Ohio State guy. I watched Ohio State completely wreck teams this year running split back zone. And uh, so I kind of agree with where the game is trending. And I think I've looked at a lot more four-down stuff this year because I ran into the same problem. But it, and it's... And I think it's still somewhat hard to, to defend, have an outside apex player come and fill a C gap consistently. You know, in college you might not see it as big of an issue, but like I think that's still a big issue. You run in, and if you don't have a that's that's the problem when you go away from four down front. You don't have a C gap player on the line, man. It's it's hard to have a force player effectively. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the other thing, too, is like a lot of four down guys want to single gap everything. They want to play that heavy technique or or they're kind of like with the save, the saving Jimmy Pony stuff, you know, even then. And that was one thing that we were a little bit different at, at Baylor. And kind of what I learned is that heavy technique was a, a normal technique. Uh, some other people call it splatter or fist technique. And, and to me, that was kind of a normal technique. But uh, but like with anything, if you do it enough and you close that B gap enough, you're going to start getting manipulated and things like that. So. I think the biggest thing to me, if you're going to run the tight front, you better have some sort of four down stem or you better have be able to get into it. And I think if you can teach it parallel and make it easy for for your your defense, you know, I talk, I tell guys all the time, if you run the if you want to run tight, you know, all it is is an under front, but you're taking that five technique and you put them in the B gap. So so what you can do is, is in that in that sense, it to to you can teach them parallel with each other. Like your kids already know under if you're a four down, they already know over and under, right? So they that, they already get that concept. So now, if, if, hey, we're gonna put in the tight front. All we're doing is we're just taking that five technique. We're putting them in, we're putting them in a four eye, you know. And you can either head up the nose or shade the nose. I know some guys like a shade. You know, I, I work with. Guy. Yeah, Bennett was a shade guy. Bennett loved a shade guy because it pulls that guard. In, yeah. And then anytime your line movement, you're crossing the face of the center, it pulled yeah. that that pulling motion was always there. So, you know, whatever you want to do, you but you've taught it in a way that the kids it can translate throughout your whole scheme. Well, I think you kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head too, which is like, and, and the one thing I've I've really tried to get away from us you know I, I've, I've only been coaching for six years now but you know six years ago it was all about your gaps even in kind of like an ob front to a degree and i think the one thing when i became a dc i never talked you had this specific gap you know you're just teaching like you kind of just said and that's why i like a shaded nose so my inside linebacker knows that if my guard pulls because we face a lot of gaps game my guard pulls he knows what person is coming to block up on the other side based off our defensive alignment. If we're in a tight front, 
He knows that no one, in theory, is blocking him. So if, if the offensive coordinator knows what he's doing, he's a conflict player now. So I always tell him to kind of squit and, uh, squat and condense, you know what I mean, play the yeah. RPO and rally to the ball, you know. But if we're in a under front and now the tackle, you know what I mean, now the tackle's coming to block and you got to go. You know, so so other than that, I think not getting out of teaching gaps and just teaching. I've never seen a guy fit in a gap. I mean, I get four guys, four front guys, guys do that, man, but that a gap changes so fluidly. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I've never been around, and I, I hate the concept of our, our linebackers having one gaps because, like, the ball is going to be ran away from you, and you still got to fit that gap. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I'll never teach. I'll never teach. I'll, I'll two gap all my linebackers, and I'll say you. But it's not even to teach them a gap. It's just like it's, it's a run rule. Like if you're the backside backer, you'll cut back. If you're the playside backer, I'm a spill guy. I said you you just wipe over top, scrape as the tightest, and tackle the, the ball that gets spilled. You know what I mean? Rather than teaching, all right, you're C to A or B to right. B. Okay. And then I, I kind of want to start drifting this into um, how you attack sprint outs. Because, I mean, that's that's a conversation me and Coach Dirty have had a lot this offseason one-on-one about, obviously, with me not being an offensive coordinator, I'm looking at a lot of sprint out stuff. And oh, I'm not going to a lot of stuff, really. But sprint out, um, kind of moving the pocket. And then he's looking at how to defend it. Because we have a lot of teams. Oh, team, league I used to be in that he's still in, the NBL. That's, I mean, that's how they deal with a lot of their arm deficiencies in the league is – Try to move the pocket, uh, try to throw like flood or comebacks or whatever you want to call it. I mean, that, that, that those are kind of the main concepts. So, how what is your preference from a coverage and pressure standpoint to attack some sort of uh, sprint out, probably like trips or a two by two motion, you know, trips? Yeah, my my biggest thing is that if the way that this is why I like quarters so much is that the mic is always going to have three. So if the running back blocks then I'm going to go meet that running back. I'm going to go set the edge. I I now become the force player on that sprint out. And that allows it. It really alleviates that stam or that nickel. Now he can expand with, with, with that motion. So that sprint out motion that's coming with him. Now he can expand. I think the biggest thing too with that sprint out is teaching that nickel not to move up towards the line of scrimmage. Um, I got it from a, a buddy of mine, Jed Kennedy, who's down at Enterprise High School in Alabama. He calls it the cough technique, curl over flat. And so to me, I tell the kids all the time, cough it, curl over flat. And I've, and I've, I've always said it, you know, don't take negative routes. Don't take negative routes. Don't take routes under five yards because they're just bait routes. Anything under five yards in an offense is a bait route, unless they're just running mesh and they're trying to get the shallow cross and, and they're just trying to race you to the race you to space. Uh, so to me, anything that's pushing, pushing horizontal towards the sideline, I don't want to take anything under five yards. And I want to stay on top of it. I want to let the ball bring me down. This isn't a quick screen. So it's not like they're running a bubble or they're running some sort of a switch screen. And I've got, I've got a trigger now to make sure that I'm, I'm there as soon as that guy catches the ball. So as I get that sprint out action, I want, the, I want that Mike backer hitting that outside shoulder of the, of the running back. Make the running back block. Whether you're sending pressure and it's a normal passing down or they're sprinting out, I want the running back to block. Running backs don't want to block. They want to carry the ball. Or they want to catch the ball now. So to me, I think that you want to make, I, I'm telling that Mike Lombard, I want you to go hit his outside shoulder. That quarterback cannot get outside of you. And then obviously don't climb. It's the same time, you know, same kind of concept with your pocket. Of, you know, I don't want to climb past the quarterback 
um, it, especially when they're runners. You want to sit and make that guy contain in a, in a bottle. So I'll hit the hit hit that running back shoulder thick, steady that guy right there, and let that everybody else kind of rally. And then everybody is going. Now, what I always tell my guys in, in sprint out is, if I'm the DB, I'm latching on my receiver. Um, unless they're pressing to the sideline in some sort of smash concept and I'm the corner and I know that that nickel's coming out right now. I know that nickel's working out right now. Um, Cause we see that too. We get the comeback with the corner, you know, very rarely do they throw the corner out. Um, normally that's such a long throw in the end because of the sprint out motion, you have time to rally, but I want that. I want that corner sitting on top of it. I want that backer sitting underneath of it. I don't need the backer on the line of scrimmage taking an arrow route. That's going one yard, um, especially on a, this in the red zone, you know, it'd be a little, little different if it was like third and three and they're just, they're trying to run that arrow and they're kind of just moving the pocket to get that throw, kind of get to get that guy out there. But I, I think on a typical normal down and they're just running a sprint out, I want that Mike linebacker to go hit that running back. And I want that nickel to expand all the way with some vision and try and see that comeback behind them or, or that hitch where they're trying to attack, attack that space and really have that corner kind of play that midpoint like you normally would on a smash concept. Do you, uh, have you ever, I've seen a lot, some match quarters team in the area, and it's probably more of the saving match quarter, cover seven, um, but have you ever had that strong safety, Rob, the second level, like say if you got flood, would you ever have that safety if you reach sprint out, Rob, the second level, corner takes deep level, and then apex player takes flat? Yeah, no, I mean, like if we're in regular quarters, like if it's a regular two by, let's say it's two by two and they're running and they're running a sprint out to the two, two receiver side, then yeah, it, that's normally how that would end up taking that safety's got to, I, I tell the safety, you got to go cap that sail route right now. You know, Nickel's going to try and sail underneath of the sail route. He's going to try and get underneath of it, midpoint it and force that low throw. And then, then obviously the corner's going to take that in mod coverage right there, yeah. um, which is man outside deep. So anytime he's going to get a fade, he's going to, take that uh, so to me i think that's important uh for that safety you know i and i also teach my safeties if you see an outside stem by number one if you feel that outside stem and you take a peek and he's outside those numbers and we're in quarters there's no reason you're not going to ever make a play on that on that fade route you know i tell my guys all the time the corner signed up to play the fade that's what the corners do i'm a corner i've been, I played corner my entire life Man, if I could if I could defend fades all day, man, that's awesome. You know, I gotta go I gotta go make it a track meet. I'm I'm I, I, I you know I'm a, I'm a fast white guy, so I, I didn't mind running. Uh, so to me, uh, I you know that's to me as a corner, that's what you signed up for. You know, so for the safeties, it's like look if you get that outside release, go ahead and start capping that capping that number two receiver, whether it's a five yard out and I'm 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 kind of running the banana trying to meet him on the outside with with the nickel coming. Or I'm trying to go cap that sail route right now and, and make that quarterback make a really good throw, especially if that nickel expands and gets underneath of it. Again, I don't want the nickel diving down on, on that, that arrow route. They, they, I mean, think about it. If you talk to any coach in America that plays offense, their, that arrow route is just the kind of the check down. They don't, that's the last thing. And, and most guys, if it's a running quarterback and they're playing, that guy's not even in their read progression. It's high, <laughs> mid, run. Yeah. And that's it. And even then, if they're running a fade route on it, it's usually mid, run. Pretty if the much. sale ain't there or you don't feel comfortable, run. So it's a one, it's a one thing, read. And, and then obviously to give the fade up, that's a gift. So to me, I mean, that's what I want that nickel. I want that nickel to make that that quarterback have to throw a really good ball and we want to sandwich that mid range throw, which is what that's kind of the sweet spot for a lot of quarterbacks, especially at the high school level. 
Now, I, I kind of want to hit, because we just talked doubles there. How many um, trips, whether it be sprint out or under just regular drop back, how many trips coverages do you carry game to game or adjustments? I should phrase it probably that way. That's probably a little bit better. It really depends on the team. Um, and I, I say, I know it's a, it's, sounds like I'm running away from the question, but it really <laughs> does depend on the team and what they're trying to do. Um, are they trying to two, three switch? Do they throw to the number one receiver? Um, how are they trying to attack you on that? We usually will carry about two or three into a game um, where, and, but I tell guys all the time, I mean, everything in our playbook, I can call at any moment, the kids know it. And so if we get into a situation, maybe we haven't read something for a lot, you know, I can say, Hey, here, this is what we want to do here. And, and the kids, kids will be able to know it. Um, but normally if we're, if we're just going into a game, we're probably going to have some sort of a, just, we're going to run stress. I think everybody knows that what, what I do and, and kind of what my baby is with the trips coverages. And then, you know, obviously that stubby special um, is, is, is there too, if, especially if two and three get close together. Um, I'm never going to let you give, uh, you know, there's, there's certain situations where you're going to check out of things. The kids know it. We have split rules, whether it's, it's regular coverage or not. I let the kids call the coverage. So we go into the game and they kind of, we have an idea and a game plan of, of what we're going to see, what we're going to get. We've already repped it through practice. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I stand on coverages. Just, I, I don't want to carry a whole bunch into the game. Now, obviously that doesn't count like our blitz coverages and things like that, but we're, we're only going to carry in, you know, two or three tops. I don't want the kids logged, bogged down with a bunch of stuff. Now, I, you mentioned players calling coverages errors, and that's something me and Coach Derry have also talked before privately is about checking coverages based off formations or situations. What is your preference there in terms of how you want them to call the coverage? Is it based formation? Is it is there a situational aspect there? Um, is it a player? Okay, player X is here at, is now number two. What is, or does that vary week to week? Yeah, it, it, we we'll vary it week to week. If like especially if they have a, a dude that we know um, we need to we need to get the double on or we need to cap him, you know we can change the coverage that week to fit that what we need right there. Um, but to me, it, it, it's alignment and, and kind of the splits of the receivers and letting the kids do it. I, I Look, to me, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm not going to double call stuff. Um, I'm not going to say, hey, I want this if it's two by two. I want this if it's three by one. Or I want this if the back's here. I want this if the back's not there. I think you start getting into trouble if you, if you do that. I want the kids to have some sort of, you know, I want them to have some sort of autonomy within, within what we're doing. I think there's more buy-in that way. I think they become more intuitive when you take the reins off of them. They learn the system better. You know, I'll never forget at Midlothian. I mean, I, it was nice that my last year at Midlothian, my school I was at previous to, to Mesquite Horn, I mean, I had had those kids since they were freshmen. So they, you know, two of them had started as freshmen for me, you know, and the other, and the other, the others had been there when they were sophomores. So it's like, as they grew into it, you know, like that last year, I mean, we were game planning together. Hey, how do you like, what do you feel about this? What do you feel about that? You know, Hey coach, I checked to this. Is that okay? You know, it's like, yeah. You know, so I think if you approach it that way, eventually you can have that college like 
conversations at the high school level. And I think coaches are always afraid to give their players um, a little bit more. And and to me, I've just always felt like I want to have an open conversation about what we're doing. I'm a teacher by trade. So to me, it's like, I want to, we want to learn and grow from these. I'm, I'm setting you up so that eventually we can kind of be, you know, on the same level, we can have a conversation about coverages. I mean, I, I'll never forget we're playing a team and they were, they came out in that very first series and they knew that we were trapping the corner really hard on screens. We had done it all year. Um, and they had, they decided, okay, we're going to run bubbles, but we're going to run curls behind it underneath that safety. And they had hit us a few times on it. And so we got off the field and my corner comes back and he says, Hey, can we squat it right here? And I was like, I, exactly i didn't even have to communicate that to him he had already he had already thought of it while the game was going on and to me i was like that's exactly what i was going to say so it was like of course yes let's go ahead and do that we did that again and then they didn't that, that, that play was dead for them they, they kept trying to come back to it and, and it wasn't there uh so to me it's like when you finally get to that place like when you just let go and you let the kids kind of be part of the process and not just pawns and 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 you know I'm like I said earlier, I, I'm a different the way that I approach things. I'm a little bit more liberal in the sense that I want to have a communication with it. I'm not a big, I'm not a big uh, authoritarian guy. I'm not, I live in the gray. I mean, I think when you play in the secondary and you're a secondary guy, you live in the gray half the time anyway. I mean, so to me, I, you know, that's where I live in. So I don't want, I'm not going to make things black and white for the kids because I think when you start doing that, if you set strict rules, then the kids are going to do those rules. If you kind of give them some autonomy, then that's when they can really unlock their athleticism and their instincts and, and, and things like that. Yeah. I, I kind of want to hit on that more because I, I think that's something, um, and I'm a big Jocko guy, and he talked about decentralized command. And, and I think some of the things, uh, even as a DC, I do, is if my D-line coach thinks that if we're playing an underfront, instead of going to a three, that four I is the better for that game, go ahead and make that adjustment. I don't even care. You know what I mean? Because conceptually, as long as he's, you know, containing that, whatever. But I think, I mean, I think kind of, I've had some similar situations, and I can't stress it enough, of talking to your players in games in, in a manner of just like, so what do you see? And like, you know, you, you, you talk about, I think, I will always say DBs is like an art. You know what I mean? There's there's a million different techniques out there that are so specifically unique for certain situations. But like when you go out and teach your kids why you're doing a certain technique, and I, and I think this is kind of where kids are getting a lot better now is that why aspect. Why are we mm-hmm. doing this, coach? And if you if you can really understand why you're doing it, not just because your coach taught it to you, you were new in college and high school. It's because, like, when you get this situation, we got to be able to do this. So that way you don't have to alter skin, you alter a technique. Right. And I think and you're just like, hey, and like you said, then they understand why they're doing it. They're going to squat really well because they understand the importance of it. And I think that you, you kind of, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, um, just teaching different techniques and run fits. And they're just like, coach, this isn't working. Is it all right if I just do this? Yeah. So I'm out there trying to make a tackle. Right. If I was, I probably wouldn't even come close to making it. So I said, do what you got to do. You know what I mean? I said, yeah. I, I give you, you know, we give you a toolbox, use it. You know, but I think that's that decentralized command is just like, to me, it's just like it's an umbrella, right? You got, okay, 
like obviously you can't just do whatever you want, call your defense whatever you want. But there's an umbrella and there's an adjustment period to where like if if you delegate that work to your assistant coaches, you delegate that work to your kids out there, they're gonna feel more empowered in that mission. I mean, you, you oh, okay, I got this coach. You know, this is this is a way better technique for a coach. I understand your thought process on that, but this is a better check for it because this is what they're trying to do. And then at that point, man, it's more of a, I think in today's world, you got to be more colleagues with your kids than you do coaches. You know what I mean? Kids want to yeah. partner with, they want to, they, they want to be included. It's a lot more inclusive environment coaching. I mean, I never in a million years when I played football would ever question a certain technique a coach had me do or scheme. But I kind of wish I did. Well, we probably wouldn't yeah. have been so bad, you know what I mean? So it's just yeah. like, you know what I mean? So it's just kind of like one of those things where I think, you, I think, I think that's a hell of an approach. And I, I, I kind of hope that becomes a lot more mainstream because at the end of the day, we're not playing. Right. And I think if you're, if you're teaching kids how to be great football players uh-huh. and situationally aware in practice, and I think the only way you can get situationally aware in practice is practicing techniques for it you know what i mean and yeah and putting them in game like situations yeah and and so it's just it's a hell of an approach and i, I kind of hope our listeners kind of get that it's not about what you know it's about what you kid know yeah and, and i've got a, a great example i had two division one corners this year i had a kid that go, went to utah and i got a kid that went to sfa and um one could do the feather technique, which if, if anybody knows, has followed me at all, cloud, cover two, to read stuff, you know, IT twitch, it's called a feather, just kind of that mirror motor with the feet. And then um, the other one couldn't do it. He couldn't do feather technique. Like the kid's 6'2", 185 pounds. He, he, I think he's going to end up playing in the NFL uh, if, if, he, if he keeps his head on straight and he, and he, and he does. I and mean, I think he will, but I think he will be seen playing in the NFL. But he is a kick stepper. It can't feather technique just wasn't it wasn't going to work for him you know and i think a lot of guys are like well this is this is the technique i want in this well it i it was very evident within the first week that i was there and, and remember i didn't get a spring with these kids i barely got a summer but it was very evident in the first week i was like this isn't going to work we got to get we got to fix this for him uh and so i said hey what about let's try the kick step yeah you know which is kind of like richard sermon made the kick step really really popular um, which is similar to the way that we slide out in in uh, in our in our quarters covered sky, and so he started doing that, and and it just you could just see him getting more comfortable. He felt more comfortable the more time when he felt comfortable, he got more confident, and then that confidence started building towards the end of the year when he was went by the end of the year he was, you know, he was he was a really really good player for us. I mean, obviously he's a Division One football player, so uh, I think to me that's a prime example of where I've been in a situation where hey this works for kid A, this doesn't work for kid B. We've got to do something different. Um, I'll never forget, even at Baylor, you know, we had Xavier Howard who played, he was playing for the Dolphins. He's one of the best corners in, in the NFL. He can do whatever you want him to do. You want him to feather, you want him to slide, you want him to do a kick, he can do it. You know, we, we had Dimitri Goodson who played for the Packers for a while. He couldn't slide and he couldn't do kick step and he couldn't feather, he just couldn't do it. But the kid could backpedal. So, I mean, it was like, he, okay, you're the only one that can backpedal. Because like, I, I don't think people understand how difficult backpedaling actually is oh. and how much of a skill it is. Oh. But this kid could do it, but he could backpedal. He was a starting point guard at Gonzaga and decided he didn't want to play basketball anymore. He wanted to play uh, football. 
Um, and so he came, he came to Baylor and he, he started a corner for us. And, and he was, he's one of the few kids that I've been around that could, that could do everything from a back pedal. Uh, okay. So to me, I think, like you said, you got to give him a toolbox and you as a coach have to have that toolbox of, of different ways of tinkering with things and saying, okay, this didn't work for you, but this worked for you. Um, let's try this technique, you know, because in, in our, our job is to make them successful. You know, we, to me, I've always said this, you know, I don't put like, I'm not going to put those two guys on my resume. Like, yeah, they, they were division one football players, but they were probably going to be division one football players, whether I was there or not. Yeah. So to me, you know, I don't put kids on my resume. Uh, but what I, so my job is to make sure that they are successful and they get to be where they want, or they get that step. Maybe I could push them a little bit higher uh, than what they thought that they could go. That's my job. So give them the tools to do that. Well, that goes back to the old. Were you able to play quarters versus uh, tray sets at all? Quarters versus so, tray. Like, what's your tray? Like, uh, tied into the twin side. Yeah, we would play quarters over one and two, and then you could poach or you could lock the mic on the tight end, depending on what they were doing. Okay. That's, that, that was something of stuff I was looking at, too, because we get a lot of 11 personnel. And, you know, I, I've always, I, I get easily manipulated because I just kind of rolled out and played cover three. My base rule was I'm a three four guy. If you have a tight end, you reduce down to it. And so, but then you'd have to, my, my rule is if you reduce down, either we got a quarter, quarter, half, because we got to have a flat player, or we got to roll down to cover three. So we have a flat player on both sides and the other guy's apex. But uh, either way, anytime it was Trey, we just locked cover three. And a lot of teams started playing that against us this year, and it was not fun. Yeah, I mean, set the if you're a forward end and set the three technique away from the tight end get into an under front and then now you got a, a b and a c gap player it allows that it allows that safety to um, be a, a kind of that poach player on that tight end uh so that way he's not just kicking over there all the time that he can actually run that alley on the back side uh and that keeps mm-hmm. you out of that quarter quarter half now if the tight end is a glorified tackle just lock the mic on him and and then you're still in an under front so you, you know, they, you can do different things like that. But yeah, we run, we run quarters to trade. Now you, you mentioned earlier about naming blitzes and coverages. Now, do you, when you are doing your like blitz packages with coverages, do you have like a one word call for the blitz and the coverage or is that two mm-hmm. separate things? And do you try to family those or what does that look like? Yeah. So it, they're, they're in families. Like we'll have our, our cover one pressures and then we'll have our zone pressures and they'll have a different they'll have a different name um if we want to be single high or we want to be too high they'll have a different name um and then obviously it just we're going to play it as it is you know and the nice thing about it is like we can switch that week to week like hey you know we're playing cover one this week and then the next week we can manipulate it depending on depending on the pressure obviously um what it is you know is it two inside guys going is it an outside and inside guy going that changes the different that changes the the kind of the dichotomy there a little bit. Um, at mid low, if we sent if we were sending an in and an outside guy, we just didn't even change the coverage. The kids just knew that if my overhang's gone, we're giving we're giving a, a mix call it means that we're mixing it up. So it's basically turns it into man. Yeah. Um, I might have help from the slingbacker or somebody that's coming to you, but I may or may not help. Uh, but what it did is it allowed them to stay in our base. I could play too high without. Um, even though we were having a five-man rush, I could still play two high concepts. We just played man match on one side, and we played zone on the other. Yeah. Um, where I'm at now, we are, we're we're good at man coverage. 
and so we've got a ton of athletes. And so we played, we were a little bit more man heavy this, this year, uh, than zone heavy because that's what our kids were just better at. And so, yeah, the way that we structure that, if it's a base call, if we're only sending four, then I'm or five, depending on that week. Um, we, that's where it gets hairy is in, and five man pressures. Do we want to run fire zone? Do we run on cover one or do we want to run half field zone? Um, and I've been at, you know, schools that every time we sent five, we played fire zone. And then at Midlothian, it was, we're only going to play half field zone because we're never going to get out of our quarters. We're ne- we don't want outside backers carrying the seams because we didn't have outside backers that could actually run. We were, we were a, we were a seven man front and we had four DBs. Now the four DBs were awesome. So it was like, we we're going to play as much man as we possibly can. And then here, here at Horn, it was now we can be a little bit more multiple in our approach. Cause we do our, we kind of are a hybrid three safety look so we can kind of be a little bit more different, but yeah, going back to going back to that, you, I think it's important that you put them in families. You know, these are fire zones. These are, these are our man free. These are our zones, you know, like, I think it makes it easier for the kids. And then also you can kind of change it this week. Like, Hey, instead of running it this way, we're going to run it this way. Okay. Um, and then I, 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 I have two more questions for you. Derry might have a couple more too. Um, and what is for me? I'm always curious about how people teach things. So what is your, your typical practice in terms of drills and structure look like to maximize your time with your kids? Yeah, so COVID, COVID actually was as as much bad that came out of it. I think that it really has pushed coaches to evaluate time management within practice and how are we doing practicing? How can we um, really amplify the limited amount of time that we have? One thing that I dropped this year was my daily must uh, footwork stuff. My kids are really good at footwork. I don't have to constantly keep going back at it. And I kind of look back at Midlothian and I'm like, man, my kids were really good at footwork there. You know, how much time, but we were so advanced that we didn't necessarily, it could take us really quick to work through schematics. So we were constantly tweet making sure maybe we were doing some more footwork, you know, but that daily must, well, when I got the horn, I got about half, you know, four weeks into the season, I'm like, I've got to cover so much stuff and we've got so many issues because we're still like the inconsistencies of kids being there. Are they in quarantine? Are they hurt? Um, you know, are they coming back? You know, it, it just was, you know, it was spring either. I mean, a lot of that is, it's huge. Right. We didn't have a spring. We didn't have a summer. So to me, the one thing that our kids are really good at and what they did all summer was footwork drills. So to me, we were already so far ahead footwork wise, because that's all they could do. That's all that's all they could do. That was it from from the moment the shutdown happened all the way up until August when we were back in football. All they could do was footwork. They couldn't, you know, they could do some one-on-ones with their friends and stuff, but we couldn't actually work on anything schematic. So we were we were behind in that sense, especially with me being new. They had run some of the stuff that we had been doing, but we were trying to do some other things. We had inexperienced players. We were very young this year. Uh, and so to me, it was like, why am I just beating a dead horse? Like, why am I just, I'm sitting here doing these daily musts that I've done. I've done forever. I've done for 10 years. I've done for 10 years. Why am I still doing them? Um, and and I, I dropped them this year and then focused more on uh, kind of like week to week. What do we need? Fixing what happened last week. 
what do we need specifically this week, scenarios that we're going to see, try making them more game-like. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I've done in the past couple of years and has really accelerated the growth of some of the kids that I've had is try and put them in game-like situations, try and do more than one thing. You know, um, if you're just running uh, routes on air, you know, that's not really for, for DBs. Like to me, if we're just kind of running routes on air, that's not great. Let's, let's get their eyes right. I want a quarterback. You know, I'm lucky enough this, this year at Horn, I was able to have a corners coach uh, who's really good, Cam Onick. Uh, and he would be the quarterback. I would sit behind everybody, and then he's watching their eyes. I'm watching their feet, and then the pattern match. And then it's like, okay, now we've got. Hey, you're, he's saying, hey, your eyes weren't on me; they were too quick. Or, hey, you're not, you're not, we're not reading. He can see them reading the receivers, and then, and so to me, I think that that's kind of the progression that we we kind of got to this year. Um, and it's something that I'll probably change as we go forward. Is like, you know, really asking yourself, do I need to do this or am I just doing this to check a box? And if you're just doing this to check a box, then you need to find something else because you're wasting your time. You're wasting your own time. Uh, so to me, practice planning, that was kind of what it is. What I do, what, there are some things that I always do that I think are important. I do think we run quarters. That's what we do. Um, and yeah, I think even if you're a man team and you're working some man match things, you've got to work those matches. You've got to work those pattern reads. Um, and you've got to work those fits because not everything, again, like I've said, you know, you live in the gray as a DB, you know, you can't just say, okay, well, that guy's at five yards. I need to, I need to clamp down on it or, Hey, you know, he went here. I, so I could go here, you know, it changes every week and the break points change every week, depending on the offense. So to me, um, doing those patterns, running the patterns that they're going to see, putting them in scenarios where they're going to see, uh, is something that for me that I'm going to do every week. But I'm always going to ask, is this game like, am I just checking a box? Can I add something in it to make it more game like? Um, and on top of that, don't go down the rabbit hole of trying to do five things at the same time, you know, where, where now the kids are doing so much that they're not getting anything out of the drill. I think you need to have two or three things that you're trying to accomplish in a drill, do it, make it game like, and then move on to the next thing. Okay, and then the last thing I got for you is, I mean, all of us study stuff in the off season, and look at stuff. But how how do you personally study? And then do you have a preference on who you like to study? How much does that change each year? Who are you studying now? I usually, I I've really gotten into analytics lately, and I want and not just like I think people say analytics and, and some, some coaches roll their eyes. I think that there are some things that we can look at objectively towards the end of the year and that we could say, Hey, this is what really is a good, good, good defense. Um, I think it's harder for high school. Like, you know, I was having a conversation with a couple of coaches. I posted something about uh, doing um, EPA, which is expected points. Um, you know, it's hard at the high school level because we don't have the data in the box scores just over like for, for instance, here in Texas, we play on a college field. Um, so it, the field's different, uh, for, for different places. So it's kind of difficult to sit there and say, Hey, you know, is this the same as college? It's probably not. Now, six, a Texas is probably the closest thing. There's probably a couple leagues in different places in Georgia and, 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 uh, California and Florida that are probably, Hey, you could probably get close, but again, we play on a college field. And so it's, I try and, I try and do some things analytically and look, okay, college wise, who's similar to what we're doing. And then I find, I try and find who's doing less, who's doing more with less. 
And then who are the top defenses? I try and stay away from looking at uh, people that, you know, like I'm not, not, I think I'm going to say someone's going get, to get mad, but I'm not going to sit and just watch every clip of a saving defense. I'm not gonna, and, and the reason why I'm not gonna do that is because they've got players that I'm never, I'm never gonna have. I'm and I'm not, I'm not gonna have eleven of them that are like that. Yeah. Um, uh, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch those games, and but I'm not gonna break them down. I think too, a lot of times, like for me, because I'm also an author, and I gotta put, I gotta put things out there that people want to see. I think that 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 there are enough people that know that system. So I'm looking for different things. I'm looking for, you know, going back to the original. You know, we can e- either all do the same thing, or we can or I could try and be different. And for me, I'm always, you know, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm trying to be different. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at more things like this year. I was uh, obsessed with Cincinnati. I thought Cincinnati, what they were doing on defense was so unique and was so awesome. And, and the way that they were doing it and they were using their personnel was really good. The Rams, the way that Brian Staley was using Aaron Donald and, and, and Ramsey as leverage players uh, to kind of play with these, with these light boxes. I mean, some of this stuff was just insane what they were doing in the front, like you're playing five defensive linemen with, with a backer that is literally stacked in a 50 technique. And you're like, there's no one in the gap. <laughs> there's no one in there. But then you remember they got Aaron Donald on the other side. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to lie, because you, you hit the nail on the head. Because I, I turn on a Rams game, because I usually don't watch any football until the season's over. And I, I turned into a Rams game. It was like prime time. And I'm like watching this. Like, what the hell is going on here? I said, like, they have, like, a five-man box to, like, 11 personnel. Yeah. And then it's it's a five-man box, stuff. I'm like, all right. But I said, it's but they, amazing. And they were, they were the best defense in the yeah. NFL this year, hands down, not even close. And so, I, to I, me. They would have made a run if Donald didn't get hurt, too. I mean, that was, that, that threw a kind of a, I mean, they, they I mean, they, I don't, I don't want to say they sold out, but, I mean, that was a huge reason why they were doing what they were doing, and he wasn't as effective, but. That was about as fun as the defense as I've ever seen. Because I, I started watching a lot more Rams game after that. I was just kind of amazed at how much they were able to do with just two superstars. Yeah, and and to me, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm looking at with what are what are teams doing that are just like it's off off the wall crazy. Like the Rams were such an anomaly. You know, the Broncos again, such an anomaly. They're running a bunch of too high stuff at like 80% and nobody else is doing that. Okay. Why are they doing that? I'm interested in that. Um, I think, um, uh, what Shiano did at Rutgers this year, running a lot of the tilt front, which is, which is under front. Uh, I'm always interested in that. Cause that's kind of like, that's kind of my home base Northwestern, you know? So to me, I'm always going to find anybody that's running a really good four, three defense. I'm going to find them and I'm going to watch them. Uh, cause that's kind of, that's like your, my first love. And then, um, off of that, that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm, I look at analytics and I, I'm trying to find out what are some teams that are doing some things. I think what Jim Leonard's doing at Wisconsin is fantastic, especially when you look at, you know, they don't, they don't punch real high in recruiting in terms of they're not getting the same kind of guys that like Ohio state is getting mm-hmm. the Georgias, the Alabamas, and, you know, and, but what they're able to do defensively is just, insane and I think what they're doing with their kind of that the simulated pressures and the creepers and, and the different ways that he's getting into that stuff I think is really unique um obviously I'm a Baylor guy so I'm gonna I'm gonna pay attention to Aranda now that he's down here uh and close closer to me 
Um, and I think to me, that's what, that's what I'm interested in. Venables is always interesting to watch. He does some crazy stuff with his quarters, which I can always, I can always get with crazy, especially <laughs> in the quarters world. When you start saying quarters tags and it's different, I'm like, okay, I'm in, I, I can sit, you know, mad scientists, this stuff. So I try and do that stuff. Um, and then obviously I, I visit, you know, I visit Iowa state every year. And by visit, I mean, I watch them every year. You know, I, I, I touch them every year. Cause I think, you know, when you go, you want to go back to the kind of the people that origin and not, they're not the original people that ran that, that, that kind of that three, 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 but I do think that they kind of brought it to, uh, kind of the, the, the light of day to everybody. So that's kind of when I, when I sit down and look, you know, I'm kind of, what are people talking about? What am I seeing that I think is interesting? I think Georgia has some of the most diverse pressure packages and just alignments and things that they're doing. Dan Lanning does a great job, uh, you know, and so to me, I'm, I'm, I'm watching guys like that. I, I want, I want unique. I want kind of outside the box thinking. Um, and then obviously in the back end, you know, what are people interested in uh, and trying to find out, Hey, why are people, why are so many people interested in this? Um, and, and then kind of being in it, bringing a different perspective and making it digestible for people. That's perfect. That's not, and honestly, I think that's a great way to end this. Um, I don't, I don't think we'll have a better ending than that. So, um, kind of as, I, as we wrap up here, coaches, um, his Twitter will be below. Make sure you give him a follow. If for some reason you're one of like the five coaches who have not followed him on Twitter, um, uh, he has some things on YouTube. Again, that's not his big passion, but I know he's got a couple things on there. If you want to check that out as well, I'll put the link for his channel down below. And then also, if you don't, if you don't have any of his books or missing one or two of the, the five, um, a link to his books will be below in the bio as well. Uh, make sure you check those out for a coach. Uh, if you want to learn more about his stuff, either just like I said, follow him on Twitter, look at the books, look at the YouTube channel for him. Um, same thing, we can give Coach Daria a follow. Um, he... He helps out with our, our channel a lot, and um, by the time this 15, comes... I'm like 15,000 followers short of Coach Alexander. So. <laughs> my, get me up video, guys. My, my, minor details, Coach. So, um, and, and Coach Jerry will just... Uh, by the time this comes out, we'll have had, had his second clinic for our channel come out as well. Make sure you check that out for our one-year anniversary um, back in March. Um, so, Coaches, thank you again, and that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.